What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all. As always, coming to y'all here from Wolver, Kentucky on a Tuesday morning, a sunny Tuesday morning here. Hopefully not windy again today, but uh, again, it's warm. Feels like lacrosse outside. It's a great day, and we've got lacrosse on deck this evening. Three games. Today, with Bellarmine uh, Bucknell having been canceled due to inclement weather uh, there in Western PA. But we do have three games still on the docket on this Tuesday. That includes a, a big rivalry contest between Hobart and Cornell. And we're going to start talking. We're not going to talk about those games because we are recording this on Tuesday morning. I'll get to them if we need be on Thursday show. But we're going to start this show talking about Cornell. So I mentioned on the Sunday game, on the Sunday show, hadn't watched that game, the Cornell Lehigh game, uh, but was another solid one there for Cornell. They're kind of the team in the top five, that is a little, they've been quiet. They haven't played really any, you know, big games yet. They have a big one on Saturday that we'll get to here in a minute. They also have big rivalry contest here on Tuesday. So, I mean, they haven't played, you know, they played Albany, played Lehigh, two good teams, but they, they haven't played any top 20 teams like some of the Ivy counterparts in you know, Penn and Princeton and Yale. Well, I guess Yale has now, but they weren't top 20 then. But, you know, they, they've not had those big uh, tests yet. And uh, Cornell has passed their first two tests pretty good. Um, I went back and watched that Cornell-Lehigh game on Sunday night. And uh, it's an interesting one. There's a lot to take away from it. So it's a fifteen, yeah, fifteen to okay, twelve to five win for Cornell in that contest, and it, it it's a weird one. So it first of all, I just want to say Jack Kaskinen, uh, I believe he played most of the second half. In the contest, they uh, got some good time there at the face-off dot. I thought he played well against Sisselberger. They did some things that helped neutralize him in the second half. Uh, but overall, you know, it, it's it's tough for anyone to go up against Mikey Sisselberger and and have a you know fifty percent or higher day. I believe Adam Shea did it at Hobart last year. And, I think he's one of the only ones. So, uh, you know, not a good day at the dot as expected um, against Sisselberger. And then also, you know, when you look at – that was one aspect of it. And then also the offense in the second half um, kind of – I don't want to say stagnated, but but it dipped, right? Um, and – Lehigh was held scoreless in the second half by the Cornell defense. Gavin Adler, Chase Irwin, 
I mean, this this defense is is strong. Jack Follows uh, is a guy who had been in the mix last season. Like they've got a lot of experience, a lot of different poles back on that back end. Maybe not, you know, veteran starters who started all you know twelve fifteen games last year, but they've got guys in the mix. And Gavin Adler certainly one of the best defensemen in the country. Uh, Chase Owen, one of the best goalies in the Ivy League, and uh, Cornell is the Holdsley High scorers in the second half. Very, very strong effort there. They held them to nine shots on cage as well in that those final two periods also. So really, really good game for for Cornell defensively, I thought, overall. Um, offensively, so things get a little interesting. So Cornell scores three goals in the third quarter of play. They go scoreless in the fourth and what they they won 12 to 5 they were up at halftime it's not like they were urgently needing to put up 10 you know 12 goals in a half uh but but still an interesting thing that as it kind of the, the offense production dipped in the second half it did start snowing believe in that second half so i don't does the weather play a factor in it? I know we mentioned that a, a couple times with some games over the past weekend, how much weather played a factor. It might have been a little bit of one, but, you know, and, and that's in all of the games. Might have been, but, you know, you can never really know how big of a factor it is. Um, Cornell, offensively, that first half was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I just have it down here. Cornell is faster. Ball movement. That ball was zipping. That ball was zipping around. They were able to get it, get it to the inside. I mean, this is a this is an offense that looks like it's going to be just as good as it was last year. Um, and look, Michael Long isn't even back yet. I mean, think about that. Um, I mean, this is a this is going to be a, a really good offense, especially when he gets back. Uh, the off ball movement, the spacing, uh, the, the the cuts. It, it was it, it was a beautiful thing to watch this Cornell offense go to work. Now, how good was the defense they were playing? I mean, look, Lehigh's a pretty good team. They've got some good players. It's not the best defense they're going to play, but to show the ability to do that. Out of the gate, really, and they played very good first quarter, very good second quarter. T- to be able to do that out of the gate and, and kind of sustain it uh, through those two quarters, I, I thought was impressive, and, and it's some um, good to show um, from Cornell, a Cornell team who again has been kind of quiet this season as as not having uh, had many, you know, uh, you know, marquee games. "Quote unquote," so far through its first two contests, though two and no, the offense is looking good. Um, so the one so some stat items I want to mention here: Cornell had twelve goals in this contest. Eight of them were assisted. Eight. Eight of the twelve goals were assisted. That's that's pretty good. One of the biggest things, obviously, you know, um, CJ Coast was was fine. Like he was fine, um, and, and he was good in this game. 
that attack line was was good in this game. What I was most impressed by was the midfield. And I'd mentioned, I think back in the fall, uh, Cornell's midfield. They, they played so many guys last year because of some of those injuries. And so you got some of these younger guys that got experience, some guys who maybe weren't you know, y- young in terms of they were a freshman or sophomore, but you know hadn't really played, a, uh, were juniors and hadn't started a college cross game. Uh, hadn't gotten much play in a college cross game because they didn't play in 2021. And so you got a lot of guys' experience up and down the board uh, across that roster last season. Uh, you look on Saturday and Andrew Dalton and J.J. Lombardi, both second-line midfielders, two assists, one goal each in that contest. Really impressed with Cornell's ability to feed from the midfield, especially with Dalton. He had a couple really, really good uh, feeds down low. Um, I think one was on, and, and Cornell just overall, like, they looked faster. They, 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 I don't want to say bigger, but, but they were definitely faster than the opponents that Cornell in, in many different spots. And, and just a good day overall. Uh, the Cornell ride, I thought, was uh, w- was pretty good. And that one, I don't have the stats here with me, but it, it was a solid day for them. Uh, so m- moving this into Saturday. So, so Cornell plays Hobart today. The thing I'm watching in that game is the face-off dot with Adam Shea. So Hobart's got a pretty good defense. They return a, a, a bunch of guys from last season uh, at Pole. That's going to be interesting to see how the Cornell offense continues to progress. I think Cornell has the upper hand in a lot of spots, um, except for the face-off dot. So I mentioned Kaskadin played. Um, Petrakis has played. And there's a third guy whose name is escaping me who has played. Like, I, you know, Cornell, the face-off dot was one of the biggest areas uh, of interest for me with this team coming into the season. Just because they they've been good, like and Angelo Petrakis had a good day um, in the NCAA tournament, and he I mean he had a solid day against Anasio and Ohio State I believe last year. So I mean he he had been good at times. He'd also been about forty seven forty eight ish percent most of the season last year uh, on average. So. Um, you you want to see teams fifty percent, fifty five you know, percent above there at the dot, and Cornell was kind of hovering, kind of. I mean, they weren't bad, but it was kind of average. And uh, at the end, they still make it to the NCAA, into the uh, NCAA uh, title game and, and all of that. So, uh, but but the faceoff dot was one of the areas of kind of I want to say concern, but areas where I was looking. At and saying, you know, can they improve? What are they going to do there? Especially w- w- with Kaskadin coming in, uh, the, uh, the star freshman who, who I think is going to be uh, a really, really impact player there for them at the faceoff dot w- w- was a stellar high school player under All-American, and, and he's gotten some play early here on. So uh, g- good to see Cornell looking at kind of all their options there. Petrakis is the number one guy for sure, but you've got to. Uh, You've got to you got to change things up and go with what works. And 
Cornell's been been doing that apparently, and they, they've got two tough matchups here uh, this week uh, at the dot. Adam Shea for Hobart, and then Drew Blanchard for Ohio State. I'm gonna be very interested to see how those battles go. Who for Cornell gets the majority of the draws, and even with the wing play, like how they do, what they try to do to neutralize Shea or Blanchard, especially if uh, they are dominating, like, like I think they, they probably could. Um, so that's going to be an interesting aspect there. Now, the Cornell Ohio State game is obviously one of the top contests of this weekend. Let's get a little deeper into a preview of this. So, Cornell last year beat Ohio State twice. Twice at their place. The Big Red now go to Columbus, and this is a top you know, 10, top 15 matchup here between these two programs. Does, so first and foremost, you have Jack Myers there, assuming he's going to get the Admiral matchup. That's going to be fun to watch. It was fun to watch last year. Um, and let me pull up real quick what what they did last year. I remember that that regular season game last year was very interesting because so both these teams can ride pretty well. Both of these teams have very very good defensemen. When you look at Gavin Adler for Cornell, and then Bobby Van Buren, Marcus Hudgens there. Ohio State. This could be more of a defensive battle than we think it will with the guys that both these teams have. Now, also, we know what Ohio State has offensively in Jack Myers, in Ed Sheen, in Kyle Borda, in Luchiba Calandra, all of the all of this talent there on that end. Certainly with Cornell, you've got Coast, you've got Billy Coyle, you've got all these guys that are there. All these guys on that offense. We just mentioned Dalton and, and Lombardi, two uh, you know, second-line midfield guys that were very good on Saturday, and, and you expect that that unit continues to get deeper for Cornell. You expect that this team continues to get deeper, and, and certainly as they get some guys back as well. So last season, Jack Myers was held to one, one, one goal in this game in the regular season. That's going to be interesting because if they can, if, if, if Cornell does that again, I, I do think Ohio State has more options this year, for sure. They have more options, have more talented options maybe uh, on the offensive end. So that's going to be interesting if they can take Jack Myers out of the game. I think this year is going to be a tougher a tougher matchup because it, it seems like they do have other guys that are going to step up and consistently succeed there, uh, whereas last season, certainly Jason Knox and Ed Sheen and those guys stepped up in this game last season. Knox had two goals. Sheen had two goals and two assists. But it, it was kind of a you know, by-committee thing. You didn't have one guy step up, two, three guys step up, uh, whole list where you'd have no hat trick to assist. It it was, you know, those two had two, and it was one, 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 one. Like, 
you know, it was a lot of different guys. And we could see a lot of that on Saturday as well. But with the matchup, the chess match between offense and defense, as they say, is going to be interesting, is going to be exciting to watch. Both of these offenses are fun to watch. Both of these defenses have a ton of talent. This is going to be an exciting game here on Saturday afternoon. One of the best games last season um, that, that, that I can remember. And if you remember, it was kind of a, a game of quarters. So, like, Cornell won the first quarter. Ohio State won the second quarter. And, and it was really a, a back-and-forth affair there. Uh, you saw the ride that both these teams employed on each other. It's fairly... Very good game. Uh, one not holistically, but 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 in part in, in between the boxes, which is you know a lot of class is supposed to be. So, uh, Cornell Ohio State definitely one of the top games coming into the weekend, and and, and is going to be a big test, especially for Cornell to see, hey, where exactly is this team? Like we know they're top five right now. We know they have two wins, but where exactly are they? Ohio State's a top, top 10, top 15 team as well. Can they go up against them and beat them the way they need to do so? And if they can do that, then I think that's going to prove a lot about this Cornell team. I don't feel like Ohio State has as Ohio State wants to bounce back here from the Virginia loss, but I don't feel like Ohio State has as much to prove here against Cornell. Uh, Ohio State loses this. They're still probably in the top 15 next week. Cornell loses it. They they probably are still, but it's going to look, I don't want to say worse, but it, it, it it's going to maybe hamper on Cornell a bit more when, if if they lose this game on Saturday. So Cornell certainly uh, maybe a bit more to prove there on Saturday, and certainly so being their first big contest of the season. Uh, when they head to Columbus and face the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, moving on to a little segment here that we didn't do last week because there wasn't much to talk about, um, but my top 20. And I'm going to go with the top 10 pretty, you know, pretty pretty swiftly here. So Virginia one, Notre Dame two, Maryland three, Cornell four, Rutgers five. That that's my top five. Carolina six, Duke seven, uh Duke seven, Jacksonville eight, uh, St. Joseph's nine, and Yale ten. One of those teams is not like the other, and that's Jacksonville in that group. Um Moving teams up and down here, I you know, I moved Ohio State to twelve. We moved Yale and and Penn down from they were uh, seven and eight, so we slid them down after their losses. Loyola slid down, Princeton slid down, Penn State slid in. They're at number fifteen, and I've gotten a lot of people asking Jacksonville at eight. And I wrote in my article, I don't foresee, like, is Jacksonville a top 10 team? Probably not. But when you're sliding these teams up and down at this point in the season, look, we, we, we slated Jacksonville there. 
after the Hopkins game, they've passed their test since then. They've got a big game against a high point there on Saturday. So we'll see how things go. And look, they're probably going to slide back down to like 10, 11, 12 this week. I, I, I honestly believe, like, you look at that top three, uh, Virginia, Notre Dame, Maryland, and maybe it's even the top two, Virginia and Notre Dame is kind of above everyone else. And then I, I do feel like you have a grouping of like four to like 10 or four to, you could say four to like 14, but it's just a hogwash. It, it, it's a crapshoot of like, who, who do you put where, why, you know, I, I moved Rutgers back into the top, uh, into the top five there. I, I thought, you know, Carolina moves in the top, top, uh, 10. Duke's back in it. I think Rutgers is probably playing better than those teams right now in many respects. So move them there. Uh, St. Joseph's, you know, they have one basically key win and that's over. Uh, Towson, they've got Johns Hopkins this week, so we'll see how the Hawks continue to move. They're the number nine. Uh, an- another thing I want to mention is Princeton at 14. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't foresee Princeton staying at 14. I think they're going to move back up, and, and eventually I'll probably have them back in the top 10, maybe even in the top five. Like, this is still a good Princeton team. But the way they played on Saturday had to slide them down, and Looking at it from a the view I'm looking at it, uh, that is where we had to slate them. Again, could have moved them up a spot, could have moved them down a spot. That's just kind of where they felt in, in in my mind. I know, like if you look at the official polls, they're like six, seven, whatever. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's probably correct. Uh, but when I was looking at things, and the way I do it is kind of from a week to week basis. So like. Where were they this week? Okay, the 14th. Like, so that's that's how I look at it. Uh, Penn State, 15. Dollar, 16. Army, 17. Villanova, 18. Hopkins, 19. And Richmond, 20. Richmond comes into the rankings as well as Villanova. And Penn State, 15, 18. Uh, and 20. The Nittany Lions, the Wildcats, and the Spiders all all three of those teams I'm looking at immensely over the next couple of weeks to see how they continue to move up and progress this season. Richmond obviously has the big one over Virginia this weekend. Penn State will play Penn, and then Villanova will play. I don't know who Villanova has this weekend. They had the big one over Delaware. They've got, okay, they're on the road. At Hofstra here this weekend, they've got the Philly Ford Classic next week against Drex- against Drexel and Penn. So uh, some good contests coming up here for the Wildcats to continue to prove themselves in that regard. Okay, so moving on here, wanted to, and I've been asked about this. Did you watch any of the POL sixes thing, championship series, whatever you want to call it? Yes, I did watch a little bit of it, not too much. And I've been asked, you know, what you think about it, this, that, the other. Look, 
Um, the Sixers format, I can understand and I appreciate how it is a, a format that helps um, grow the game in areas where you might not have enough guys, in areas where my and especially for younger uh, kids where it's a bit easier uh, to play through those rules. It's maybe a bit easier to understand. It's more like basketball. Um, so I, I understand that and I appreciate that and I get that. I'm a proponent of growing the game. I'm a proponent of seeing this game be in every corner of the United States, in every corner of North America, every corner of this world. Um, every person should have the opportunity to pick up a acrostic if they so choose. Statement we hear often, statement I agree with. Now, there is a... Let me think about how to put this. There is a way to grow the game, and there's a way not to. Now, I think when you look at the PLL Sixes solely, when I talk about the Sixes game, I think the Sixes format is, I don't, I see the benefit of it, and I appreciate the ingenuity behind it and all of that. I don't think it's the way to go um, if you want to get into the Olympics. I understand, I, I understand. It fits, it's the time window, blah, 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 blah. I get all that. I do. I do. You don't have to tell me again. But there's, there's a way to grow the game and a way not to. There's a way to draw in new fans and a way not to. My biggest concern with going with the Sixers format for a TV event like this, or the PLL had, or the Olympics, or anything like that, is say, oh, we want to do this to draw new fans. And, well, that's great. They're going to come in, they're going to say, oh. And then they're going to say, okay, this is cool. We'll cross. Um, they're going to see it. They might not you know, necessarily listen to and comprehend the broadcast uh, solely. Right? Or they might not do that uh, to the fullest extent. And they're going to say, this is a cool game, lacrosse. This is, this is how lacrosse is played. No, that is, that's not field lacrosse. They're going to later in March or April, May, see, there's a lacrosse game on TV. I remember I watched that in the Olympics. It was pretty cool. Let's turn it on. Boom. What the heck is this? This isn't, this isn't. So there's different rules? What? Doesn't make sense. Football, basketball, hockey, all that. Baseball. From one level to the other, the rules are pretty are pretty even. Like the, the it's it's the same game for the most part. Not sure you have three on three basketball, they've got the big three tournament and all that. But like from high school to college to the NBA, it's it's uniform. Those changes that uh, go along with the level of play, the caliber of athlete, all of that. You have the shot clock in college. You don't have it in many high schools. The shot clock is shorter in the NBA. Why does lacrosse need, and even when you get to, to, to the Olympic level, it's the same game. 
Why does lacrosse need to change that is my question. If you're telling me that we have to change it to get more people in, I understand the sentiment there, but why is that? Why is that? I don't think you should have to change it. I don't think you should. Sell the game as it is. If you can't bring people in with the game as it is, maybe there's something wrong with how you're selling it. I don't know. I don't know. My biggest concern with the Sixers format is, and I was talking to someone, a friend of mine who is a kind of casual lacrosse fan and turns it on when he sees it on TV. And he texted me and said, turn on the Sixers game, because it was before a basketball game. He's like, um, this is, uh, he's like, this is weird. And I was explaining to him what it was, and he's like, that's stupid. These are the kind of people that you're trying to draw in. Everyone I've talked to, I've had a lot of people who said, like, hey, I understand it, but it's stupid. That was the general, what I got out of it, is talking to people, and everyone said, you know, I understand it, I, I appreciate the effort and all of that, but this is just stupid. And again, that was more towards the POL event. Now, I think the Sixers format is pretty stupid. I think it's stupid to see that as the future of we're going the game this way. Uh, you're taking away the face-off, you're taking away the long poles, you're taking away unique things about the game to try to make more money. Just say, just say what it is. You're taking away unique things about the game to try to make more money. And inform you are going to ruin the game. That's, that's my opinion. If you want to use the Sixers format as a way to grow the game in uh, areas where there's not as many people for uh, to to play, and you know, they have the was it the um, seven man football in Texas? Like it could be something like that. I I, I would I would agree, I I agree. It can be something like that. It can be something unique uh, in that way. That's that's great. I'm all for that. But to use it as to hold it up on this on this pedestal type thing and say, well, this is the Olympic version of it. I, I just I, I just I don't agree with that at all. I don't I don't agree with that at all. And look, it's fun to watch like you had twenty some odd, thirty some odd goals in these games. There's a lot of scoring. But man, I you know just just something about taking away the uniqueness of the game, the face off, you know, long poles, there's no deep there's no defenders in the game. I just think you're taking something away that, that that doesn't need to be taken away, and you know the powers that be in the sport are doing it uh, just just so they can make a bit more money is is kind of my opinion. There. And may, maybe and I I I I will say there's some who are not doing it for that way. And again, the growing the game aspect of it, I get and I'm all for. It. But to use it at the Olympic level, to use it as a way to get in the Olympics. No, I'm not for that at all. Never have been, never will be. Put the full field game in there. 
we'll put the full box game in there. Now, you can't really put box in there because of, well, I, I mean, those, those rules about what you can and cannot play at the Winter Olympics, and some people said, well, box would be at the Winter, well, you can't do it because it has to be on ice. Um, like, you have to have end up. Like you can't have indoor games on, on ice, I believe, in the in the Winter Olympics. It'd be tough to do it in the summer um, to get a facility to do that. Uh, so, I mean, field lacrosse is probably the best way to go if you want it in the Olympics. And look, field lacrosse was in the Olympics before, back in the 1930s. Why can't we just go back to the way it was? I, I don't know. That seems fine to me. Seems fine to me. If, if they say no, they say no. Then we grow the game on our own accord. We don't need them. You know. But looking at the uh PLL side of it. Um PLL, I mean, first and foremost, they've done a great job of bettering the game of pro lacrosse on the field side. They've done a tremendous job. You know, God bless the labels and what they've done for the game. It's immeasurable. However, this event I thought was absolutely um, just, I didn't understand it. And again, I had everyone who talked to me, who I've talked to about it said it was fun to watch and all that. It's kind of stupid. Uh, and I will say, it felt a little um, manufactured, you know, manufactured hype. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but it kind of felt that way in many instances. Now, in terms of the play on the field, no. But, like, in terms of, like, yeah, sixes lacrosse, this is what we're doing, this is great, and everything, felt kind of manufactured hype there among certain audiences. Not everyone, for sure, but among certain audiences. Felt a little manufactured. It's a little questionable to me. Um, I also don't know why they did this in February. You got college going on. You got basketball going on. They should have done it in November. You got NLL going on, so no Canadians were there. And we know those guys would have been fantastic in the Sixes format. I mean, I would have loved to see those guys in the Sixes format. Many of them. We don't get to see that. So that's unfortunate. My question is, was this something that um, that the uh, the advertisers wanted. Because in many ways, it kind of felt like that. We're gonna put this in here in February. Well, why, why February? Put it in November. It's before the NLL season. It's sure so, so you still have to compete with football, but you put it on ESPN Plus, and that's fine. You compete with football in the in September anyway. Because you, you run your league into the college football season and NFL, right? I think so, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's just my thoughts on it. Again, fun, fun, you know, fun, fun games to watch. A lot of scoring. But um, is Sixes the future of the game in terms of Olympic level and all of that? I don't, I don't want it to be so. Is was the PLL Sixes thing kind of, you know, seemed kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it did. All right, folks. 
Well, anyway, this is more of a college class podcast. We don't talk about that much on here. But, again, had a lot of people asking me, what was your opinion of this and all that? So, thought I'd give it to you there as we exit. Today, as always, thank you all for tuning in. You can listen to the Lacrosse Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube as well. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Helps us grow the show. Leave a five-star review where you can as well. You can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.